I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you know how much I love art and the history of art, especially when it's connected to dogs. That's why I'm so excited that we're about to jump on Zoom and chat to art critic Estelle Lovett about what we can learn from some of the great masters, from Botticelli to Leonardo to Landseer to Hogarth and even to Snoopy. Hey Estelle, welcome to A Dog's Life. Thank you, Anna. Hello. Estelle, you're an art critic and a massive dog lover. Absolutely, yeah. And that's why I'm really beside myself with excitement because I'm not an art critic, but I'm an art lover and a dog expert. So I'm really thinking that this conversation is going to be fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, you know, if, if you love dogs, then you're in for a real treat because there are so many dogs in art. Well, they really are. And you know how they say, you know, a picture speaks a thousand words. Before photography, without art, there'd be no reference to our history. And that's with dogs as well. Absolutely. You're 100% correct. Don't forget the camera was invented as late as 1839. And yet we have hundreds and thousands of images in dogs of dogs in art well before that. If you go right back in, into history prehistory, if you like, and, and you have a look at the paintings that were done on rocks, um, in caves, uh, you know, the, the dogs that were depicted then, okay, they, they look quite wolf-like, but the dogs that were depicted then, they were depicted as man's companions, as their guardians, as their guides, as their hunter helpers. So dogs really have been side by side with man ever since. And then if you want to jump forward and look at the Egyptians and, and the Greeks and the Romans and the Celts, how did they depict dogs? How did they depict dogs as being the link between us, between us and the real world and even beyond? Well, they predominantly depicted dogs and illustrated dogs as statues and they valued dogs so much. Symbolic, of course, we, we think of um, dogs for their faithfulness, for their bravery. Um, it's interesting because during the times of uh, the Greeks and the Romans and the Greek and Roman art, mm. it's easy to pick out how much they preferred cats as domestic animals over dogs. Isn't that funny? Why is that, Estelle? Why? Because they saw them as being more useful you know, as a friend, as somebody to take care of, of them and their family, as somebody to help them go out on a hunt and catch prey. Because, of course, it wasn't just a question of going out on a hunt and catching prey. It was a question of you go out on a hunt, you catch the prey, and therefore you've got food for the family. And if you skin the prey, you've then also got clothing for the family, you know, through the fur. And you've also then, if, if you want to get right down into the nitty gritty, you know, they, they would even use the fat of the prey to cover over themselves so that they keep warm. So dogs, dogs were um, more than than just a pet. 
more than just a domestic animal. And they were also uh, lucky symbols for, for um, loyalty uh, to it, and also an indication of the owner's status. You know, apart from the trust and the love that the dog gave to man and man gave to, to dog, um, it was always how much value they brought to the family as a whole. And of course, if you could afford to have a dog, not that I mean that back then you had dog insurance, of course not, but if you could afford to have a dog, as in also to provide for the dog as well, then it meant that you were pretty well off in society. And that, I suppose, is really reflected in the age of the late 1700s and mid-1800s with artists like Stubbs and Landseer, who both were predominantly painting animals. Oh, yeah. I mean, animal portraiture came into its own then. And if you think about it, if you think of this saying, you know, about a lapdog, you know, where does the saying a lapdog comes from? Well, Today, we think of a lapdog as being the weak person controlled by somebody else. But back then, a lapdog was literally a dog that would sit on your lap. And that would tend to be a gift from the husband to the wife. And then they would uh, commission an artist to paint such an image, either of the dog with the wife or with, with both the husband and the wife. If you think back even earlier to a lovely little painting called The Arnolfini Marriage, which is here in the National Gallery. I did history of art, Estelle, so I, and that combined with the dogma. But was that Van Dyke or Van Eyck? But Van Eyck, yeah, it was, exactly. It was Van Eyck. And that painting, you know, you're talking about what did we do before the camera? Well, that painting w was um, almost in place of the of the um, wedding photographer, you know, but there mm. in between this portrait of this married couple showing marital fidelity is this little dog who is obviously a very cherished member of this upper middle class family. Um, so it's very interesting. And, and why? Why are dogs portrayed during the Renaissance in hunting scenes? Well, hunting scenes, obviously, you need a dog. Um, but particularly during the Renaissance, it was to show the sport of the aristocracy. It was part of court etiquette, if you like, to have a dog. And then, of course, we see dogs being depicted in coats of arms and heraldry. And why, again, that's for showing that the dog protects you, the dog is loyal to you, the dog will work for you. You. Um, and in, in return for this successful hunting dog, we don't feel unhappy and we don't feel shameful for, for having them as part of our family. You know, they're, they're part of they're part of art and they're part of mythological tales. Look, what about Pompeii as well? You go right back to Pompeii. And if you think back to first century BC, that the, they used to have outside their homes little mosaic signs saying, beware of the dogs, you know. <laughs> I know, and there were loads of dogs that were, you know, immortalised when, of course, Pompeii was devastated with the volcano. And, you know, you get a real feeling then how integral dogs were then, you know. So where we are now with dogs in modern life isn't that different. But what I think art really shows, you know, you mentioned the marriage of Arnolfini. I love that picture because it actually features one of my favourite breeds of dog, proving as well that breeds and certain types of dogs have been around 
around for centuries. And that, that's a griffon, a griffon bruxellois, which nowadays actually doesn't look quite the same. It doesn't have the pointy nose that that little dog featured. But without doubt, you know, because again, Van Eyck was Dutch, wasn't he? So it would make sense, you know, Brussels and Holland are quite close to each other, that, you know, there's reference to these dogs as having a major role back then as they still do today. Absolutely. And apart from the dogs themselves having a major role, which is which is so important for us to realise that they're a valued member of our community. Also, how um, other artists and in other parts of the world made what they created as works of art to have value and a practical function. So if you think of, for example, the Japanese little little sculptures um, and how they actually were considered to have a practical function before any great artistic merit. So these little dogs would be used as cords or toggles to attach things to kimonos because kimonos don't have any pockets. Ah, what, they'd be like little handbags made out of stone or something? Well, they, they, it would be like the little toggle. Oh, okay. Um, at the, if you imagine like a toggle on a duffel coat, you know, so it would attach, it would attach something because there weren't any pockets on the kimonos. Gosh, I love that idea. But talking about, you know, Japan and Asia, and there's lots of research from a scientific level that proves that dogs actually were domesticated first over in the East. And gradually as, you know, different um, phases of the earth changed and migration happened, dogs came more westward. And that's really, I think, immortalized and proved by the Chinese silk paintings, for example, where, you know, you see these wonderful silks of the Pekingese, which again, of course, the Pekingese in these silk drawings looks nothing like the Pekingese we know today, which I find really interesting. In fact, actually, the Pekingese in those silks looks far more like a Tibetan Spaniel. And there's lots of theorists that say that the Pek and the Tibetan Spaniel are, in fact, the same dog. But of oh. course, the ones that, yeah, ended up in Tibet in a country that was isolated from the world until, well, only just over 100 years ago, the Tibetan Spaniel remained a reference point really to what the Pekingese maybe once was like, you know, because in the silks, the Peaks have got little legs, they've got a much shorter coat, they've certainly got a longer nose, and, you know, they're presented as being icons as, you know, the little Chinese lion dog, you know? So in China, the Pekingese for the emperors represented wealth, everything. This this dog was empowered with so much. Yeah, and that's that's probably why they put them all over their ceramics, you know, during the hands and the Tang Dynasty. They, they put them all over their ceramics with great pride. Absolutely. It was interesting what you were saying about um, Stubbs and Landseer, for example. So, so two great British artists, distinguished, um, highly valued here in this country. And, and it, it reminds me um, of how much importance and, and love they showed to their dogs. So Landseer, for example, used to paint the, the working dogs. Um, and there's a lovely painting uh, of a, a Newfoundland dog lying down. You, I'm sure you know it. Um, Is it Boatswain? Is it Lord Byron's dog, the black and white the, Newfoundland? It's, it's the dog um, which is called Bob. The dog itself is called Bob. 
um, Newfoundland dog lying down. And this dog became a distinguished member of the Humane Society in its own right, because it used to help save people from drowning. So this dog, Bob, um, who was actually himself found in a shipwreck just off of the coast of England, he came down to London and that was his job for over 14 years. He saved about 23 people. That's and amazing I mean, because they, that's what they do, Newfoundlands. You know, they were bred obviously in Canada, Newfoundland too, and they've got webbed feet. They're the only breed of dog actually that okay. is like a duck. Yeah, yeah, so their swimming is amazing. So fishermen bred them originally to help them in the rough seas around Newfoundland and they'd swim out if there was a, a boat in trouble and be able to pull the boat back in and they'd help pull up the nets. They worked symbiotically with old fishermen. I, I love all of that, but oh, I love Lord Byron's story. And Landseer, of course, painted Lord Byron's dog called Boatswain. Interesting name connected to fishing, I guess. But yeah. sadly, Boatswain died of rabies in the early Victorian era when we had rabies in this country. And it broke Lord Byron's heart and his epitaph to his dog, which maybe we'll do another whole podcast about, breaks your heart. That was, you know, in the early 1700s, I think Byron lived. My, my history is not so good on dates with things like that. And it just shows, you know, the impact of dogs on our lives. And this is what Stubbs and Lancey, of course, were portraying. Yeah. And don't, don't you think that they made the dogs look so distinguished? Mm, and so definitely. important. You know, it reminds me of another lovely painting, which is part of the Royal Collection Trust, called The, the Connoisseurs, Portrait of the Artist with Two Dogs. And it shows um, Landseer drawing, mm. and he's all dressed up in his finery, and, and side by side, either side of him, are these two wonderful dogs. And... The two dogs depicted, one of them is his own, his own collie, and that's called Lassie. And the other one is a retriever called Myrtle, Myrtle. Um, who was a, a dog owned by one of his patrons. But it's almost like Lanzier is implying that the best judges of anything are dogs, you know? Well, I mean, you know, he got that right, definitely, you know. But um, so actually, you know, the, the black and white Newfoundland is now today called a Lanzier. So, because Newfoundland, right. yeah, so they come in liver, they come in black and they come in black and white and that's all because he he you know he portrayed the black and white Newfoundland you know which is brilliant but going a little bit deeper into art and its meanings and its implications a line of thought that was thrown at me actually when I was reading Jenny Murray's biography about her chihuahua called Butch that uh, played a major role in her life when she um, had breast cancer actually and recovered from and a lot of this was down to this little chap called Butch who I've met so I feel very honoured to have met him and I discussed with Jenny about this line of thought which was this that due to a fresco on the Sistine Chapel ceiling painted by Botticelli way back in the 1400s it features a chihuahua Mm. It's definitely a chihuahua looking dog. And Carpaggio at about around the same time painted a wonderful piece of two Venetian ladies, you know, 
looking very grand. And right at the front of this picture, clear as day to me, is a little white chihuahua, literally looking at the artist. So it's almost like this, this chihuahua-like dog is the main, uh, main subject almost, because the ladies aren't actually looking directly at the artist. The only one that is, is this little chihuahua, you know, look at me, look at me. But the interesting thing is, at the time that both these works were painted, Columbus hadn't yet discovered America. So so does that throw into question whether the Chihuahua is actually Mexican? Absolutely, yeah, because these were painted about 10 years before uh, Columbus discovered America. So mm. it, it's very interesting. And also the, the symbolism there with, with why at, at this particular period in our history uh, were dogs used in, in such obvious symbolism. Well, don't forget, a lot of people then were illiterate. So the way that people were taught about how to be good people, how to be upstanding, decent members of society was through artists painting pictures. So the role of the artist then was to educate, not just create nice images to, to cover over cracks in the wall. And Whereas an artist may include a cat, a cat was symbolic of something quite nasty and evil, um, whereas the dog was, was very different. And even now, you know, it, it, it's strange how, thank goodness for the use of x-rays. Um, if we look at da Vinci's Virgin of the Rocks, there's two Virgin of the Rocks, one here in the National Gallery and one in the Louvre. And if you look at the one in the Louvre, right in the, in the background, there is um, a, a dog on a leash and the dog on the leash is hidden there amongst the uh, flora and the fauna and almost meant to symbolize man's faith in Christ, you know, not to disobey, uh, don't um, unnecessarily prey on, on uh, poor victims. It really, the dog was a symbol of, of Christian love there. And that Carpaccio one that you were talking about as well is a lovely image because it, it's almost raising the dogs to a higher level than the women because the women, you know, there's some discussion, are they courtesans or are they prostitutes? You know, it was with the dogs, that there's no doubt they're there for goodness. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one of them's actually playing with what looks like a greyhound's head, you know, playing a little bit of tug. You know, the dog's got something in its mouth and she's reaching out yeah. to the dog. It's really, you know, it's really quite a dynamic picture. And then she's got the two front paws of this white chihuahua looking like dog sitting upright on its haunches as if to go, you know, hello, little one, <laughs> you know, and it's brilliant. No, I'm fascinated by that. And there is, you know, thought that says that the, the Chihuahua actually comes more from Malta and mm. therefore is originally more of a Mediterranean dog. You know, the climate similar to Mexico in a way makes sense for a kind of small, efficient, slim, uh, initially smooth coated variety dog. Makes total sense, doesn't it? It does. It's interesting, but um, I guess we'll never know. Other people are insistent that it is a Mexican dog or maybe Columbus took some of these little dogs with him on the boat you see I mean you just don't know do you but no. but you know and it's interesting it seems that now we're using all these social media platforms and Instagram seems to have taken over from what Lancer and even Reynolds did back in the um, 1800s to create that image of you with your dog that's what 
summarized your persona in a way it was your brand back in the day you know you wanted this expensive oil portrait or whatever commissioned and your dog was going to be sitting on your knee you know um yeah, yeah. So how was, things have changed you, you're, you're totally right it, it was a status symbol it was almost like you know the ferrari uh, or the porsche parked outside your front door um, so everybody could see what you had um, so not only could you afford the dog you could also afford for a painter to, to do the portrait of you both but then if you if you think about it's interesting what you were saying about social media now and um, how people are putting up portraits of themselves and even um, their, their dogs you know have their own accounts as well and if you think about that lovely portrait by Hogarth the painter and his pug mm. um, unfortunately named Trump, right? No, no, no. Poor, but, poor dog. <laughs> yeah. But that wonderful painting, if you, if you look at it, you'll see that actually Hogarth himself is not depicted as a real person. Hogarth in the painting is depicted as a painting. It's a portrait that you see of Hogarth in the painting. What is real, which part is real, is the dog. So the dog is looking at a painting of Hogarth in this painting. So it's almost like a vanitas. It's almost symbolic for the um, pleasures as seen from the dog's point of view about life and death. But hmm. it's interesting that Hogarth depicts himself as a painting, not as a real living, breathing human being, but gives that credit to the dog. It is interesting. I love that portrait. It's in the National Portrait Gallery, isn't it, Estelle? That that one, I believe, is in the Tate Gallery. In the Tate. Okay. No, it's um so interesting. I mean, because Hogarth was one of the proud owners of kind of the, the first ever pugs to come into England, you know, because they came over with the tea trade. And it obviously also shows how we've changed the looks of the pug rather dramatically, I'd say. In Hogarth's day, they had a nose, so they would be able to breathe. And little Trump in that picture, he hasn't got big bulgy eyes. His eyes look kind of normal, you might think. Um, but I remember I've read something. Trump uh, loved the pug because they were pugnacious. Um, <laughs> and I think that says a lot about Hogarth's personality because he was quite kind of ironic, wasn't he, with his etchings depicting yes. his time, the early Victorian era. And he, he actually did an etching featuring one of my little dogs, actually, Mr. Binks, because he's an old Victorian breed. He's an English toy terrier. And back in the day in Hogarth's day in the tavern, what they do is get this great big sort of big crate thing and fill it with rats and then throw in a couple of little Mr. Binksies. And then all the, the drunkards of their beers and their ales would be betting on which little dog could kill the most rats in the shortest period of time oh, and that's what people did entertainment entertainment before television <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it, I love what you said ab ab about that though and and with with um Hogarth's pug because when you look at it I mean I wouldn't have realized it was a pug but for the name um I'm not that experienced anyway in dogs as, as you are obviously but it, if you look at the two faces Hogarth has almost made him him and the dog looked look very similar, you know, as know. if they're brothers. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I think that is what Hogarth looked like, actually. But then, yeah. you know, that takes the old adage, dogs are like their owners, you know, to a new yes. level. 
<laughs> but um, yes, I mean, you know, where would we be then really without dogs? Would art have really evolved as it has, do you think, Estelle? I, I don't think we would be where we are in the art world without dogs, especially when you consider all the great artists that had dogs running around their studios. So the likes of Picasso uh, with, with his uh, Dachhounds, with um, Frida Kahlo, with Lucian Freud, with Warhol, with David Hockney, with Jeff Koons, you know, all these artists that, that, that love dogs. Um, have changed the course of art history. And dogs bring such a serene sense of peace. And um, they make us just feel so at ease. It, it, they're almost, you know, when you can't get outside to nature, you've got your dog indoors to, to, to make you feel that comfort. So I really believe that, that all the great artists that had dogs would not have created as efficiently and as imaginatively and as thoughtfully with such great feeling had they not had dogs with them. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, they were like their muses. I know Warhol, he he loved his taxis and they made a real statement, you know, back back then, you know, you know, Manhattan and everything. And talking of taxis, I mean, they've been a subject even for, I don't know, do you know if Giacometti had a, um, a taxi, Estelle? Well, I, I didn't know it was it was um, a, a Daxi, no, but I, but I love Giacometti's dog sculptures. They, I mean, they're just incredible. Mm. I don't know which breed it was, so thank you for that. Well, but, I think so because there's a, a wonderful picture because you know he was part of the futurist movement, wasn't he? I think wasn't he Giacometti? And there's a Daxi that he's painted. It's very clever because it's obviously a long-haired Daxi, and he's made it look like the legs are going wee because when they walk along, you know, their legs do go very very fast. <laughs> Because they're not very long legs, but and he's captured the movement of the legs whizzing around in this one picture. Oh, yeah. I know who you mean. That yeah, that's um, that's it's, Carla. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right, so. that's right. Yeah, I got it now in my head. Yeah, the legs are rotating almost like a hundred miles an hour, and you can see the end of the woman's skirt, can't you? That's and right. Yeah. Legs. Okay. Wrong artist. Yeah. But yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. No, that's the one. That's the one. Thank you. Yeah, that's a beautiful image, Anna. Beautiful. It really is. When you were talking about Giacometti as well, have a look at Giacometti's sculpture of a dog and see if you can um, decipher what dog that is. Because this dog's got very long legs and he's very lean and he's got a, a long snout. But that, that's a beautiful sculpture as well. Um, the one by Giacometti called Dog. But no, that, that Bala one, who was part of the Italian Futurist, you're 100% right. Yeah, great image. And it really shows the movement and the energy of the dog. Really? When you were talking about um, Warhol's um, dogs, there's a lovely little story that uh, in, in the States, he used, to, he used to take them with him when he used to go to a restaurant and he used to keep them on his lap underneath his napkin. Um, and he used to feed them scraps of food. And of course he had to avoid the restaurant manager or any restaurant inspectors that would come in. But he used to like to take them with because However much we think of Warhol as being a showman, he was actually very shy and didn't like to talk to people. So when anybody would come up to him and ask him a question that he didn't want to answer, he'd say, well, I have to defer to my dog. And, and he'd point at the dogs and see if they would answer, which, of course, they wouldn't. But that's that's what he did, Warhol, with, with his uh, dackies. Oh, I didn't know that, but I knew he was very, very shy. So it, it just makes sense, you know, because we see how dogs... Have 
help children, you know, with autism, reach yeah. out and, and, and so on. And but the thing is, Estelle, you know, we recorded a podcast recently, Estelle, with an amazing event that's called Woof Stock. And you don't have to believe this. They've got a feature area called the Poor Casso tent and what that involves is is dogs actually painting works of art for their owners by walking through food coloring that's diluted yeah. getting it on their paws so it's totally safe and then walking over a canvas <laughs> can you imagine so it's almost like the tables have totally turned I think that's a wonderful fun idea I, I remember um years and years and years ago there was an exhibition in Hammersmith uh, and it was an exhibition of paintings done by a chimpanzee, you know, really? it, yeah, abstract expressionist art. And then I remember I had to review for one of the red tops, an exhibition of paintings done by Peter. Peter was an elephant. And then I remember doing a, a review of the paintings by Bubbles, Michael Jackson's pet. Oh, so they're yeah. very popular. Gosh, yeah, I bet. You know, the well, thing is, we're so fascinated with by animals at the moment. I think lockdowns obviously, you know, inspired a lot of this. But, you know, the science that goes on to, you know, try and work out what dogs are thinking and, and all the rest. And I think a lot of the answers are in the greats, the great art, going back to, you know, the Egyptians, for example, where, where dogs were gods and, yeah. and Egyptians were mummified with their dogs so that the dog would guard them, you know, as they went on their, their, their last journey. And Anubis, of course, played a major role in, in Egyptian mythology, if you like, and he was a dog or half dog and half human. Yeah. So it's interesting, the impact dogs have had on us. And uh, I guess we can't really still figure out why totally, but I think art gives us a clue. But what, what, what do you think, though, when the tables are turned and when artists portray dogs almost human, like, um, oh, the dog's playing poker, that's uh, Cassius Marcellus Coolidge. You know those images of yeah. the, dog, the poker table. I, I do, and then I think there's dogs playing snooker as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's this humanisation of dogs that, you know, we liken certain characters to dogs. When I was young, I used to sort of think to myself, oh, no, he's a whippet you know um she's a terrier <laughs> and I kind of think of um yeah I used to think of one of my aunts as being a borzoi and I'd I'd really you know try and imagine what they would be like if they were dogs my dad was definitely a Labrador yeah and I guess that's kind of something to do with it really with those uh, I think they're interesting I think it's a twist I think it just further exemplifies our fascination with the dog as I think creating us humans really to where we are now, you know, because we wouldn't live in a capitalist society without the dog because humans on their own wouldn't have been able to have brought the livestock to market to sell, for example. So dogs underpin our own existence. Yeah, true. And then I, I just was thinking now, as you were talking about how 
how we sort of interact and everything and, and how they fulfill. I mean, there's so many senses that, that dogs please us with, you know, whether it's our eyes or our touch or, or uh, our ears, you know, that they, they fulfill all our necessary sensory things. And then I, it reminded me of, do you remember the HMV stores? Um, yes. And, and how, I think it was, was it a terrier mix? I think his name was Nipper, wasn't it? That it was, the yeah. um, artist, Barrowed, his name was, um, created uh, the image of this little terrier listening to a wind-up old gramophone. And, you know, that HMV took that, didn't they, um, as, as the uh, logo. And then I think uh, EMI, the record company, handed them out as little statuettes cast in bronze over the years. But photography, what's the name of that, um, what's the name of the breed of the dog that uh, the artist um, Wegman is, is the artist he took photographs of, of his is it a Weimarana or something is that a breed yeah no I know the ones actually yes Weimarana because they're very striking so they're like grey and they've got blue or amber coloured eyes so and they're, they're big aren't they and muscly and exactly Exactly. Absolutely. I love the HMV dog nipper. I mean, I really, again, that says it all, doesn't it? You know, um, really, that such big labels, EMI, you know, champion yeah. the dog to represent everything from the Beatles to yeah. whoever else they produced or whatever. Extraordinary. Gosh, I know, Estelle, we could talk and talk and I hope we can revisit Dogs in Art because I know we've only really just scratched the surface. Absolutely. And while you're talking about champions and and the size of the dogs and and uh, their muscular frame and how huge they are and inspiring don't forget little snoopy as well you know oh. charles schultz was inspired by his own dog when he was growing up called spike you know even though snoopy's so small he's like the brainiest of that whole bunch isn't he so philosophical yes. and so inspiring <laughs> I know Snoopy's wisdom. <laughs> I mean, that was part of my childhood, Snoopy. I adored him. And, you know, um, and of course that takes you on to, well, more pop art. What about the dancing dogs by Keith Haring? You know, the dancing dogs that almost look human. You know, he's got these their dogs back on their on their two back legs. Well, that's a whole nother aspect, you know, that we've we've merged now. Now dogs don't go hunting with us so much. We've replaced dogs' needs to have a purpose in life and to, in inverted commas, work with us to do things like doggy dancing, like agility. <laughs> um, and a lot of people take it all very seriously, Estelle. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> oh, Estelle, well, I look forward to um, you coming back on actually very soon and we can perhaps focus on the more modern side of the dogs in art. Lovely. Yes, I'm sure you are chuffed that your ancestors were drawn by Hogarth himself. And yes, you're right, it is time for our Woof of the Week. Through art, we see a picture of how dogs have shaped our world as man's best friend. And I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're streaming on all apps and it's free to subscribe. Thanks to my producer, Mike Hansen, for all the music and production as ever. Follow them at Pod People UK. For more about me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. And why not have a nose around my website, AnnaWebb.co.uk. We'll be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe now and you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye.